Grateful to, uh, to have Pastor Jason Dahlman with us this morning, and he's going to bring us God's Word. I just wanted to introduce him briefly. Uh, Jason's a friend from years ago. If you recall, he preached for us uh, probably seven, eight years ago, something like that. And uh, Jason actually, after seminary, planted a church here in Milwaukee, pastored that church for a number of years, and then came to this place where he was trying to figure out, would I like to become part of a denomination or not? And that's the place he was in uh, when he preached for us. I don't know if it had anything to do with it or not, but uh, he did end up joining the CRC and is now a pastor up in uh, the Edmonton area of Alberta. And uh, we're just thrilled to have uh, Jason preach for us again this morning. He's back in town to visit family and bring a daughter to Marquette, I believe. Uh, so his family's with him too. And uh, welcome, Jason. We are uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again this morning. Um, I once preached at a church and I got up to the pulpit and I looked at the pulpit and there was a little note for the pastor and it said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I thought, wow, no pressure there. Um, I see the sign right here, it says, please speak loudly. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> that I can do. Uh, in fact, the feedback I often get is, that was too loud. I'm, I'm secretly hoping the sound will cut out so that I can just shout. I, I, I prefer it that way. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to preach from 1 Thessalonians, so if you want to turn in your Bible with me to 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. Before I read it, let me just, if, if I may, just say a, a few words of introduction. Normally when you start reading a book of the Bible, you start at the beginning. We're starting in chapter 2, so let me just... Uh, say a couple words if I may. Um, have you ever wondered, if, when you read through Acts, have you ever wondered why mid-journey the Apostle Paul adds Luke as a traveling companion? I've been wondering that lately and I have a, a speculative answer. I don't know for sure, but, it, but I've been wondering if maybe partly it's because Luke was a physician. Luke was a doctor. It's always comforting to be in the presence of a doctor, especially if you're the type of person who tends to draw angry crowds who throw rocks at you and who beat you and throw you in prison and drag you out of town and leave you for dead. It's nice to be traveling with a physician. Paul's own description of his trials, a well-known description from 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, he talks about his own life and he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent a night and a day adrift at sea. I was on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure." Now, given all that, that's Paul's description of his own life. It must have been very nice to have a traveling companion who could patch him up and keep him alive so that he could keep preaching God's word. But what I've been thinking about lately is the freedom 
that Paul experienced throughout his difficult life. Paul was a profoundly free man. Despite the fact that he lived many days nursing wounds behind bars, he was a profoundly free man. And that same freedom is available to each one of us here in this room. In fact, that freedom is our birthright as the children of God. When I read the words of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, which I'm about to do, I see at least four aspects of Paul's freedom in this text. And so I want to look us together, look briefly at each one of those four aspects of Paul's freedom in the hopes that, in the prayer that, and in the expectation that you and I, by God's grace, will experience that same freedom in our own lives. And so, here we go, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2, and I'll read the first 12 verses. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. The grass, thanks be to God, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I know uh, that I've already been prayed for, and I appreciate that. I'm just going to say a quick prayer and ask for God's help here. Holy Father, I am aware of my inadequacies right now, especially aware, and so I'm asking for your help. Um, Please make your voice heard. My voice means nothing, but your voice is everything, so please speak to us. Uh, we We are seated at your table. You are our host. You have spread out this feast before us. Please help us to eat well. In Christ's name, amen. All right, four aspects of Paul's freedom. The first aspect that I see in this text is the freedom that comes because Paul interprets his life circumstances through the lens of faith rather than interpreting his faith 
through the lens of his life circumstances. I'm going to say that again. It's a, it's a little confusing. Paul interprets his, li- interprets his life circumstances through the lens of faith rather than interpreting his faith through his circumstances. That sounds similar, but it's entirely different, so let me explain. When you interpret your faith through the lens of your life circumstances, you will be joyful and full of faith when things are going well. You get the new job, you get engaged, the members of your family are healthy, and you think, isn't God good? And then when things are not going well, you find yourself struggling or angry or bitter or depressed. You get fired. You find out that marriage is hard. A family member is struggling with their health. And you find yourself saying, where is God in all this? Is he not paying attention? Does he not notice what I'm going through? Is he not able to help me out here? Why is he allowing his child to suffer in this way, he must not be as powerful or as good as I thought he was, because if he was, he wouldn't be letting me go through this. That's what tends to happen when we interpret our faith in the light of our circumstances. Our faith is strong when our circumstances are good, and it's not when they're not. On the other hand, when you interpret your circumstances in the light of your faith, if, what I mean by that is if your faith is the foundational, immovable reality of your life, right? that's the thing that your life is built on, then you'll interpret your life circumstances in the light of your faith. So look at the way that Paul does that. Paul interprets his circumstances in the light of his faith. Now just to get a little context, context for Thessalonians, according to the book of Acts, when Paul first visited Thessalonica, He was verbally attacked, he was wrongfully accused, he was run out of town, he was chased to the next town. They followed him there by people who wanted him dead. That is not an especially positive visit. I would not be especially happy if that's what happened to me during my visit here in Milwaukee. And yet, look at Paul's assessment of that visit. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. It was not a failure. Another version says, you know that our visit to you was not without results. Another translation says, you know that our visit to you was not in vain. In other words, Paul is not focused on the negative. There's no complaining about the hardships. There's no saying, well, that was a waste of time. The only thing I got for my efforts was getting my life threatened and kicked out of town. No, it's exactly the opposite. He's celebrating the fact that God is at work through the power of the gospel in the church at Thessalonica, despite the opposition, despite the hardship, despite the persecution. Paul had faith in the promises of Jesus. Jesus who said, I will build my church. I will. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul believed that. And so he interpreted his circumstances in the light of that promise. And as a result, he experiences the freedom of faith. The freedom of faith. Knowing and believing that God is in control and that God is able to make all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. So, what are the challenges that you are facing right now in your life? I mean, I'm standing up here, I'm looking out at you, you look great. You look great, but I know that life goes deeper than that, right? And I know in a room this size, there are challenges. 
there is suffering, there are trials in this room right now. I know that. So how are you responding to those challenges? Are you getting angry? Are you getting bitter? Are you questioning God? Or are you saying, Lord, to be honest, I wouldn't have chosen to walk through this. I wouldn't have. But, please help me to see what you're up to here. I believe that you are both sovereign and good. I believe that you are here with me, walking with me through this valley. And so help me to see what you're up to here, God. And show me how I can participate in what it is you're doing. That was Paul's posture. Not grumbling about the hardships, but believing that his suffering was not in vain, was not a failure, because nothing is wasted in God's economy. And he was interpreting his circumstances through the light of his faith, and that is freedom. That is freedom. That is a freedom that Paul had that absolutely nobody could take away from him, and that is a freedom that we have too in Christ Okay, that's one. Second, second aspect of Paul's freedom on display in this passage is the freedom of integrity. Paul's a man who has nothing to hide. You ever notice that? He's not a man who is perfect. He did some bad things. But he has nothing to hide. And when you have nothing to hide, you are free. I'll say that again. When you have nothing to hide, you're free. Paul says in this letter, he says, look, our motives were pure for coming to you. We weren't trying to trick you. We weren't motivated by greed. We weren't trying to rip you off. We weren't trying to flatter you. You remember how we behaved when we were with you. We worked hard. We earned our own money. We didn't want to be a burden on you. Because we wanted to preach the gospel to you. You watched us. Remember, we were with you. We lived with you. You watched us. You know how we conducted ourselves. And it was a manner that was righteous and blameless. Now that's a man that has nothing to hide. Right? No secrets to cover up. He's like a man, I I think of it like this, a man who has faithfully been doing his taxes his whole entire life, and then finally he gets a message from the IRS, right? Saying that he's being audited. And he thinks, finally, (laughs) great, go for it. Have a look. Take a look at my books. You will see that I have been abiding by the law for years and I have nothing to hide. That's freedom. Nothing to hide is freedom. That's kind of what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, audit my life. You saw me. Audit my life. Have a good look. Look at the way I conducted myself when I was with you. I walked with integrity and I've got nothing to hide. Now the opposite of that is when you've got something to hide because then you need to keep it covered up. Right? I'll give you a little silly example. It's on my mind because I just read an article Uh, But you can take this silly example and take the principle and apply it to your own life. So I read an article a couple weeks ago. It's about people who carry around a bad conscience because they've told lies about family recipes. So these are people who have said that this is a secret family recipe that goes back for generations, but actually they got it from a website or a cookbook or something. I didn't know that was a thing, but in the article, it was saying that there was this one woman that was so bothered by her deception, she had told everyone about this family recipe for fudge that had been passed on from generation to generation, 
and it was a secret. And then, I'm not kidding here, on her deathbed, <laughs> it, it weighed so heavily on her, she made a deathbed confession. Surrounded by family, she told her loved ones that the secret family fudge recipe, she actually got it off the side of a jar of marshmallow fluff. Those were her final words. She felt so guilty about that deception that she had carried with her for so long. All right, it's a silly example, but you get the idea. When you have something to hide, you are not free. When you have something to hide, you are not free. It weighs on you. But when you walk with integrity, that is freedom. All right, so now let's pause and ask ourselves, How about you? How about me? Are you robbing yourself of freedom by keeping something hidden? Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone you talk to needs to know everything about you. That that would be horrible. But there are, are there any parts of your life that you're keeping hidden from everyone? No one knows about it? Why are you doing that? Maybe it's because you're ashamed. Maybe it's because you're embarrassed. Let me tell you something. That shame is keeping you in prison. And the sooner you can bring that thing out into the light, the sooner it will die, and the sooner you will walk with integrity like Paul, and you experience true Christian freedom. Third, the third freedom that I see in Paul in this passage is the freedom of the truth. The freedom of truth. Verse 4, Paul refers to himself to himself and his fellow missionaries, as he uses this phrase, entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the gospel. I love that phrase. That was the motto of the seminary I attended, entrusted with the gospel. Some people don't like that motto because it sounds arrogant, as the seminary is saying, we and we alone have been entrusted with the gospel. It's ours. No one else can have it. That that wasn't the point at all. The point is that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a message that was invented by someone. It is not something that pastors cooked up so that they could have something to talk about on a Sunday morning. It's not something that the Apostle Paul invented. It is God's message. The gospel is God's message, and he entrusted it to the church. It's a gift. He said, here, it's for you. It's the gospel. It's good news. And the expectation is that we will take care of it, we will preserve it, and we will not alter it. We're not supposed to take a poll and figure out what people want to hear and then say that. We have been entrusted with the gospel. You and I have been entrusted with the gospel by God. It's God's message, it's God's truth, and we're supposed to speak it plainly. Paul is saying here, he said, look, if you don't like this message, that's fine. But I want you to know it's not my message. I'm the messenger. And I've been entrusted with this message by God. And I ain't going to make sure that I'm a good steward of this message. And I ain't going to discharge my duty by speaking it plainly and clearly. I'm not going to tailor it to what I think you want to hear. See, as soon as you begin to compromise the truth in order to please others, you begin to lose your freedom. It's a freedom issue. If you do that, if you start to do that, now you have to make sure you remember what you said before so that you don't contradict yourself now. 
right? And you have to start running all your sentences through a filter. Not the filter of, is this true? That's a good filter. But the filter of, is this what this person wants to hear? Is this what I told this person last time? That's not freedom. That's slavery. And that's not how the Apostle Paul lived. You remember what Jesus had to say about the liberating power of the truth? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Living by truth is freedom. Fourth and last The fourth aspect of Paul's freedom that I see in this text is the freedom of humility. Verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. There's a lot of freedom there. Let's be honest. Most people are motivated by a desire to get praise from other people. That's natural. Right? We want to be well-liked. We want to be appreciated. We want to be admired. And it's fairly common for people to wrap up their own self-worth in the opinions of others. Right? Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with wanting other people to like you. I want you to like this sermon. I do. But if I find my value, if I go home today and I find my value in what you think of me or what you think of this sermon, I have voluntarily given up my freedom. And I have made myself a slave to your opinions. And I don't want to do that. I like you. But I don't want to be a slave to your opinions. If you find your value in life based on what others think of you, you are not free. If you find your value in life, based on what other people think of you, you are not free. To use Paul's phrase, you're looking for praise from other people. Which is exactly what Paul made a point of not doing. Because when you idolize the opinions of others, you feel good about yourself as long as your ratings are high, and your self-worth will tank if you get some kind of unkind or critical feedback. That is no way to live. Tim Keller, recently passed away, pastor in New York, uh, he had this memorable phrase for this kind of freedom that, 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 that comes to someone who's truly humble. He called it the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. What he means is that rather than putting myself in chains by wasting my time and my energy, by worrying about what everyone else thinks of me, true freedom means I don't spend much time thinking about myself at all. Because I'm so focused on loving God and loving others. That's Paul's approach here, right? He says, we didn't come and visit you because we were looking for praise from you. We came because we love you so much and we've been entrusted with the gospel. And we want to share this gift of the gospel with you. And what you think of us means very little to us. But what you think of Jesus means very much to us. So let's keep the focus on Jesus and get it off of ourselves. That is real freedom. That's freedom. The freedom of humility. Well, there we go. I expect that you could think of other ways that Paul's freedom was manifested in his life and ministry. There's lots, but we've seen four this morning in this short passage. Despite all the hardships, despite all the persecution, despite all the suffering, despite all the imprisonments, 
the Apostle Paul lived a remarkably free life, a profoundly free life. He had the freedom of faith. He interpreted all of his circumstances in the light of his unwavering faith in God. He had the freedom of integrity. He lived his life out in the open with nothing to hide. He had the freedom of truth. He was committed to speaking God's message rather than his own message. And he had the freedom of humility. It mattered very little to Paul what people thought of him. I pray that you and I will experience that same level of freedom in our own lives. I know, not I wonder, not I hope, I know that that is available to us in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you for the gift of freedom. (laughs) Thank you that you have called us to a life of freedom. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit to see where we have voluntarily traded away that freedom and put chains on ourselves. Help us to see that and then release us, please, by your Spirit and to your glory, release us so that we too can walk in freedom all the days of our lives.